1: He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Everybody, it's Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones here with another edition of the Old Church Planner
2: podcast. So, uh, what are we talking about today, Peyton? Well, we're going to talk a little bit today about the Church Planner Boot Camp. You know, uh you, you can't just chuck a dude who's gifted and called out there. Um, he needs to make sure that he's got the character to survive. So, uh Paul in the New Testament puts uh, all ministerial candidates through the ropes. He gives them an obstacle course, and he says, look, you know, you got to meet these certain requirements, you know. Um, I suppose it'd be like push-up drills and um squats and sit-ups and jumping jacks for 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 ministers but before we get into that today um you know kind of a little heartwarming moment from uh, are, are you going to talk about planner. how little
1: character i have
2: yeah, you know, we were just saying before the broadcast that this was coming just in the nick of time for you, Pete. This this subject, and uh, so so uh, not about that. Pete has many character flaws, but uh, the one that I'm going to highlight right now was a very touching moment on uh, Facebook where, you know, Pete every week he he goes to Disneyland and and he absolutely hates going to Disneyland, I really but do. He, he he has a little it. boy. And, uh, they've got free passes. So they go, uh, once a week. And, uh, and, and so every week, you know, Pete's always telling me, Oh, I'm going to try to get out of it this week. And, uh, so anyway, so it, there's these pictures that pop up on Facebook. And I'm like, Oh man, that's really sweet. It's, it's Pete and the family. And, you know, I, I don't remember. I think it was like the Winnie the Pooh characters. And then there's one shot. And I, I remember thinking, because if you know Pete, you know, he's not a touchy feely dude. Right. So, um, you know, there, there's Luke and, uh, Luke's being, uh, kind of cuddled by Winnie the Pooh. And he's got the, the picture there. And I remember thinking, Oh, you know, that, that's a real, you know, kind of hallmark moment there uh, for Pete. You know, a big guy softening up a bit there. And uh, and then the next thing I know, you know, later on that night I get this text and Pete <laughs> sent me that same picture and it goes, look, loot covered in poo. <laughs> I have many character
1: flaws of which we're just going to highlight a few on today's edition of the Church Planner <laughs> Podcast.
2: Yeah, you might think we're walking through uh, you know, the Timothy pastor to title. We're actually just talking about Pete in reverse.
1: <laughs> and how and how Pete has no business anyway associated with ministry. Absolutely. So anyways, um You know, before you know, we get before we get on the, the, the subject at hand, let me just make a quick little announcement, if I can, about the old uh, Church Planner magazine. Um the new edition of uh, Apple's iOS, their iOS 7, was just released this week. And um, so we've actually just submitted to Apple the updates uh, for the the magazine app. And um, once they approve it, uh, if you've got, you know, if you've updated your phones or your iPads to iOS 7, you'll need to update uh, your uh, Church Planner magazine just to make sure that. Everything works correctly going forward. It should still work okay right now, but, um, but you know, I mean, you know, there's changes that we needed to make to the code and stuff. So, so update it is all I'm saying. That's all I'm throwing out there. Update the app.
2: Yeah, very cool. All right. So, uh, yeah, I didn't even know there was an iOS 7. Man, that thing is ugly. What iOS 7? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not crazy about it. everyone's like talking, oh, it looks
1: so good and so clean. I'm like, dude. I had my old system jailbroken, so I had it the way I wanted it. And I'm like, I like that much better.
2: So. Dude, it's like fluorescent pink and like day glow colors. So I don't know, man. People, I, no, it's not I fluorescent pink. It's white. No, but you know, like all the icons are really loud and obnoxious. Yeah,
1: they are. They are. They're very. So it's, it reminds it's me like, of like the 1970s again, you know? Yeah. Just like this color scheme from the 70s.
2: Yeah, I thought, I th- I thought we were done with that. I was born. I mean, the, you want to know what the 70s produced? It produced me. You don't want more of that. <laughs> That's how you know the 70s were good. Ah, uh, yeah. So, anyway, so going into this, uh, today we're going to talk, okay, we've talked about the calling, we've talked about the church planner's gifting, and this is still the nuts and bolts. This is a third in our series of a nuts and bolts, um, kind of talking about how do you plan a church? Well, um, it, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I, I know you're, you're waiting for methods, right? There's an old saying where a guy said, look, men are always looking for methods. God is always looking for men. And so, just to throw that out there, that today what we're going to talk about, and we've been doing this last uh, three weeks. You are the weapon. You are the weapon that God is going to use to strike out against the kingdom of darkness. You are a minister, and it was Robert Murray Machine who said, "How awful a weapon in the hands of God is a holy minister." So you need to to, to take great care. Kind of like Spurgeon, who uh, in his lectures to my students started off that book, which was training ministerial students, uh, can you imagine being discipled by Charles Spurgeon, his very first chapter was called The Minister's Self-Watch, and it was all about, um, he quoted the old proverb that uh, if the ax is not sharp, the uh, ax men must use more force. And so um, he's saying, look, stay sharp as a minister, you know, so that uh, the Lord can use you more effectively and more efficiently. And um, so when you're talking about uh, requirements for ministry, it's all character. And we said that, we just hinted at it last week, that more important than gifting is character. I'll take character over gifting any day because I've watched men that are extremely gifted um Fail. And so, character is the thing that ensures survivability in both the church plant and in ministry uh, in general. And um, so, you know, Paul was a veteran, and he had watched men burn through themselves. He had watched them burn out on the mission field. He had watched guys like uh, Demas, who loved the world. Uh, you know, he says, all forsook me. Um, you know, he watched John Mark quit the field. And he knew, uh, that if these men were not tested and tried, that, um, they, they would fail. And, and, and it's kind of like giving a, a, a shotgun to a monkey. You know, you know, he's going to do some damage. Ministry, uh, can be a very dangerous weapon in the hands of the, of, of the wrong people. And it can really mess a lot of people up. So, uh, Paul's saying to Timothy and to Titus in both of those books in the pastoral epistles, He gives requirements of of people who are going to be in ministry. And so, it's no different uh, for a church planner. Obviously, uh, Paul is talking to Timothy and Titus both about raising up elders. And so, the qualification of an elder, you might say, well, how does that have to do with pastors? Well, in the New Testament, pastors and elders are used interchangeably. Hmm. So... Um, before we get to jump school, and what I call church planner training is jump school, we got to go to boot camp. we got to go back to basics, basic training. Basic training is your character. Now, just a word of warning, boot camp sucks. Nobody likes boot camp. You never hear people say, oh, boot camp's awesome. And these passages, I gotta be honest with you, I'm not saying the scripture sucks, but it kind of sucks to go through them because it's kind of like when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you know, you read it and you just go, oh. <laughs> You're not like, "Woohoo, man, I'm scoring perfect 10. Um you know, don't hate people. Oh man, that, that's my favorite thing to do is hate people. Uh don't lust. That's Pete's favorite thing to do.
1: <laughs> well, actually, the first two were mine. The uh, I I I don't know if I told you this, but you know how I'm always saying uh, how I'm always saying I've said it on on several of our podcasts that um, you know whenever I get really angry at people or whatever, you know, the, there's like this little voice that comes into my head. Yeah, but they're made in the image of God, and you know, and it kind of puts me in check. Well, I think it was Monday. Um, my wife Jamie. She sent me to go get some sandwiches at um, uh, a place called Subway. For our for our international listeners, it's you know just a sandwich shop.
2: And so we I have po- Subway in the UK.
1: Well, we've got more than just the UK listening, man. We got them all over, except for Russia. <laughs> They're the only ones who don't listen to us, and w- and we totally talked about their holiday. I know. We actually have a lot of listeners in Kenya. I think because of uh, Jonathan Ferguson. Oh, right on, dude. So anyway, I pull into this parking spot, and this gal, um, like literally 10 seconds later, pulls in in a minivan, so crooked, I can't get out of my car. And I'm like, are you serious? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, do you not know how to park a car? And I'm getting like furious, right? And so, you know, I'm all, like, squeezing out, finally get out of my car, <laughs> go get in line, and I'm, I'm, I'm fuming. And, of course, she comes in right behind me. And I'm like, th- that whole thought of, yeah, but they're made in the image of God, did not once enter my mind. <laughs> like, was yeah. not even close. And so I I had to do everything in my power to keep from just telling this lady off. And what I really wanted to say to her was... If your car is still there when I get out to my car, I'm going to slam my door into the side of your minivan because I was just like furious that someone would be so rude and then not even bother to try and straighten out their car. And luckily for her, she must have called ahead because she literally got her food before I got mine and pulled out about 10 seconds before I walked out to my car because I was just I was fuming.
2: So I don't actually say that to her. No, I wanted to. Okay, to. you can maybe still be in ministry. No, I well, don't think
1: I can. See, that's my problem, man. I got I got hatred in my heart.
2: We're, we're going to take a poll at the end. Can Pete still be in ministry?
1: <laughs> Vote. I'm not really in ministry, though, man. I'm just doing a <laughs> podcast, bro. That's it.
2: You're the minister. All right. All right. Well, see, the, the problem is, the question will then be, can Peyton stay in ministry if he continues to be friends with Pete Mitchell? I think most people would tell you it's a slippery slope. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, good company corrupts no wait, bad company. See, you're already corrupting me. Well, Look it. It's that, happening. That actually well, reminds me On, I'm misquoting scripture now. Thanks, Pete. I,
1: I was I was uh reading um I you know, we've gotta keep up our, our record here. I was reading uh Michael Cheshire's book. Um I think it was Michael Cheshire. <laughs> bing, bing ching. Um, ching. And he was talking about how it was one of his books, I think it was the How to Knock Over 7 Eleven. And he was talking about how he was going on a business trip and the guy that he was going with um was gay and they were staying in the same hotel room. And it wasn't like the guy was like, you know, <laughs> as 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 Michael would say, it's not like he was putting the moves on me, though. That's pretty hard to do because I'm such a <laughs> fine walking piece of meat here, you know. <laughs> and you know, because as only Michael can can say in his book, it, and he's like, you know, he had people coming up to him at the church. Hey, I think you're walking down a slippery slope. You're staying in the same room as this gay guy. So, um, and he was, he was like, "You're out of your mind."
2: Well, okay. So we'll add to that. Can Michael Cheshire still be in ministry?
1: And and apparently, a lot of people say no.
2: <laughs>
1: That's why we like him. You saw that. So, you know, how they, have- how they have that giant chair out in front of their. Yeah. And someone wrote on it. Did you hear about that? Yeah. Someone came by and tagged it uh, false idol, but spelled it IDLE instead of IDOL. <laughs> <laughs> and so Michael's like, come on, guys. If you're going to try and rip us a new one, at least spell it correctly. That's awesome. Unless you really are saying it's a false idol, it's a false idol. Relaxing chair. Then, okay, I'm with you on that. <laughs> oh, it is a false relaxing chair because it's like 10 foot high. Oh, it's so, more than 10 feet, and then it? it's It's huge.
2: It's the large. He, they wanted to get in the Guinness Book of Records is why they did it. That's awesome, dude. It's huge. I love it. So, you know, now that we have paid homage to Michael Cheshire, um, we now are, and, and if you're new to the podcast, that's just a running joke. We just always mention him just, you know, because he's like our mascot now. Um, he's like the mascot of this podcast. He's we want awesome. Writers, like <laughs> yeah, we just want him to like us. Uh, but but the reality is, um, you know, getting back to boot camp, right? Uh, no soldier wants to have to go through hell hell week twice, and and yet we have in the scripture two two different places where this list is is mentioned. One is in First Timothy three. The other one's in Titus one. And so, just to read the one in 1 Timothy 3, we use this as a springboard. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, Not violent, but gentle. That one would have knocked me out years ago. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, not covering them in poop Hmm. Uh For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of... By outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace or into a snare of the devil you know basic training uh, it, the reason why they drill you um, they drill you over and over is because what they 're trying to do is to get this stuff to be like reflexes when you 're in a foxhole and bullets are flying um, the the basic training is kind of the foundation of all you is as a soldier it pro, programs the way that you think act and react. So when you can't think straight in in a firefight, you fall back on your training. I suppose it's the same with a firefighter, a policeman, and so it's meant to embed itself into the into the soldier his, his self, and and I just said his self, um, himself, and become part of your unconscious thought or your instinct. And so Paul's remaining t- reminding Timothy and Titus of the basic training and character that the Holy Spirit has been working in them. It's not, it's not like as a leader, you, uh, are meant to be this like special, you know, angel with angelic qualities. You just can't afford to get it wrong when you're in the position of leadership, but you're meant to just be kind of like, you know, a Christian, this is just good Christian stuff. This isn't just, you know, stuff for leaders. Mm -hmm. So, in order for for Titus to blow uh, Crete like a popsicle stand, he's got to basically find men of of character before he can skip off the island. And the same with uh, Timothy and in uh, in Ephesus, he's got to find guys um, men of good character before they're allowed to go. So imagine that's what Paul's saying to to both of these guys, Titus and Timothy, in, in both of the books written to him. He's saying you got to find guys like you. Before you can get out of there, and so I guess really the 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 first question that we're asking the church planner is, are you a man worth sending? Mm. That that's a question you got to ask yourself. Am I worth God sending to these people? And I know all of us, if if we're humble, are going to go. I don't know, Lord. And it's okay to have. You know, if you're like, yeah, man, I'm worth it. I was worth saving, and I'm worth sending. Then you probably actually have a problem because one of the the requirements here is that you not be arrogant.
1: Well, it's not arrogance <laughs> if it's true.
2: <laughs> well, no, and it's not, and and I think you can go through the list that was and joke, you can say by the way,
1: before we get all the hate
2: email. <laughs> well, exactly, you, you, you're, well, you know, they're only going to write hate email to you, Pete. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> That's today's theme. Today's theme is that Pete Mitchell is evil, if you haven't kind of already detected our uh, running joke today. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, Paul was uh, basically given these requirements um, for ministry in general, but especially for the church planner. He's, he's like in the vice grip of ministry, man, it's like the pressure is on in a church plate plant like nowhere else. So your character really has to, to, to be exemplary. And so if you're, if you can't be an example of a Christian, you really have no business leading, right? Mm. So to be above reproach, um, is the first thing we're just going to walk through these, um, a little bit and, um, Pete's going to interrupt me you know, as, uh, otherwise, you know, me, I'll keep talking. So, um, the first one is being above reproach and it's kind of like Paul starts off and he says, you got to be above reproach. And then he kind of qualifies what he means. Everything else is in the passage is a way of explaining what he means. So if he just left it there, you got to be above reproach. you would be like, well, dude, Paul, what do you mean? Like, can, can I watch, you know, uh, Can I watch R-rated movies? Can I can I listen to secular music? Like, dude, what are you talking about? Right. Um, and so Paul breaks it down. He doesn't he doesn't leave it to our imagination. Um, so what he's gonna do is he's gonna assemble a picture of a Christ-like leader. And um he he actually mentions it again uh in verse seven. So he he doesn't mention it kind of like once, he mentions it a couple times. Um he says in verse seven, moreover, he must be well thought of uh, by outsiders, so being a brother approach means really, you know, uh, no one can shake a stick at, at your character. No one can, you know, if they level an accusation at you, it's not going to stick, right? So the uh, the what, hus- let,
1: let me ask you a question on that. What's the? I, I don't even. I'm not even sure how to form the question correctly. But okay, let's say your your pre Christian life was not good. <laughs> okay. Um, look at Paul, right? Killed Christians. That was his deal. Hunt him down. At what point do you say, okay, well now this is a person that's above reproach. Like, you know, cause they've, we've all got this history. Yeah. And then, you know, does it mean, well, since you've converted or I, I don't, I mean, cause then you can, you look at uh, uh, leaders who have fallen. You know, at at what point is it, you know, are are they out for good? Because, well, you know, they committed a a sin that we all saw. Um, and therefore, you know, they, they shouldn't be back behind the pulpit. Does that make sense what I'm saying?
2: Yeah. 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 No, I get you. I get you. I think that, um, when he's talking about this, um, there, you know, there's a debate about that. Some people say that he, is he currently above reproach? Um, some people say, uh, you know, does he have, um, has he had a, a track record of constantly letting people down? I mean, different, some people are like, hey, if the dude falls, he's done forever. Um, and, you know, when I look at the scripture... Um, although that's a, a very attractive proposition, um, I look at Peter, man, and I just see that Peter, uh, if anyone fell big, Peter did. Um, he denied the Lord. I mean, I, I can't, in the first century, you have to understand there was nothing worse than denying the Lord. People, martyrs went to their death without denying the Lord. And yet Peter is the number one screw up and God still uses him. He gives him a second chance. I don't personally, you know, I think, I think it's kind of a gray area. I think that, um, it may be that. Paul's saying here, he's currently above reproach. Um, some people say no, you know, it, it has to be that uh, you know, if he's ever fallen or let God's people down, then he's he's done, man. And um and and unfortunately, I can't give you a straight answer on that. The jury's out for me. I've seen guys that have fallen, um, they've humbly repented, and they've gone back into pastoral ministry. And uh and and I'll be honest. Like at first, my thoughts: Well, hey, you know, should that guy be back in? But, um, like I said, if Peter was back in, that that makes me wonder. It just makes me question. I, I don't know. I wish I had all the answers on that. I, I don't know. I guess mm. it's be between them and Jesus, to be honest. Mm. And uh, and I would hate to kind of knowing knowing my own. You know, sometimes it's it's a question of uh, if if all of our secrets were told. Probably none of us would be in. Now you know the the next one's kind of a biggie, where he says, you know, the husband of of one wife. He says you got to be faithful to your wife, and so you know, the question again is, are we talking about now? Or are we talking if I had an indiscretion in the past? I mean, by God's grace, I've never had a, a an indiscretion uh, against my wife. I've never kissed another woman. I've never slept with another woman. Um, but if I did. I can tell you right now I'm I'm the guy I would never want to be back in ministry. I'd be done. I'd be like, mm. you know, I'm done, man. I don't I don't you know, if I if I've let people down like that, I I I don't I don't want to be back in. But, you know, you got David, you got um you know, Samson, you got all these guys in the Old Testament that screwed up big time and God still used them. Yeah, so that's I a good know. point,
1: man. That's a really good point.
2: Yeah, and and so I just look at it. You know, even John Mark, you know, John Mark leaves and quits and Paul's like he's done and then later on Paul's like, "Hey, bring John Mark with these. These useful to my ministry." So if if grace doesn't play out, I I can definitely tell you this what I believe is that um if a dude sins and, you know, let's say he commits adultery on his wife, that God can't ever use him again. If that's what you're saying, dude, you need to go back and read the gospel. You, right. Somehow you've got a disconnect between, you know, is a guy just supposed to go stay in his room for the rest of his life and, and never be used by God again? I surely hope not, because that that doesn't square with the gospel at all, as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, to answer your question, the, the, the first question you raised about before the dude saved... Um, I can I can just say this that uh, um, it seems in the in the gospel that anything prior to a dude being saved is just more of a tribute to God's grace and power in his life, and so uh, when Paul says, you know, um, only they heard that he who formerly persecuted the church uh, now uh, is is a believer or now preaches the very gospel that that he sought to. To to per, to persecute. Um it, it just seems like whatever you did before, um, you know, once you get saved, it is just a testimony to to God's power and grace. So maybe it's the same. I don't know.
1: Hmm. Well, thanks for that answer. It's kind of a long one. I was but, looking for a yes or a no.
2: Yeah, I'm sorry, man. You <laughs> know what? And and the funny thing is, is that I got my master's in pastoral studies. And um, and we studied this passage like crazy, and it just doesn't answer that question. I know there are church people who will answer it for you, yeah, but the passage doesn't answer it. So yeah, having, see <laughs>
1: that's that's the that's the thing that you know in my own walk, I, you and I have had this conversation many a time. You know, when you grow up as a, a pastor's kid. I mean, you, you get all kinds of rules hammered down you. And so to really understand the grace of God almost takes removing yourself from your past and going, okay, look, all that stuff that I learned, okay, there are certain guidelines, but I really need to understand the grace of God. I need to just focus on that. And so, um, Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of people who would love to tell you exactly how that's supposed to be interpreted. And, you know, this is what it means. And that's what I'm trying to stay away from. It's not, I mean, I'd like to hear other people's opinions, but, you know, I really want to understand what is God really trying to say here.
2: Well that that's it. That's why I'm you know, the there's that injunction not to go beyond what's written. And so what I'm saying is I don't know because the passage doesn't actually speak to it. And there'll be people who'd be upset at me, you know, for that because they want they want some blood, man. They'd be like, oh, hey, wait a second. That's cool, you know. We 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 all got our opinions. And I, you know, Historically, I've always fallen on the very conservative side of this to say that dude's done, man. And like I said, you know, after spending two years, uh, you know, at an institution studying this passage in detail—I mean, in depth—we deconstructed this thing. I just personally haven't haven't seen, but I I will say this: um, uh, there is a pattern of guys. uh, For example, if a guy is um, divorced. And um, and I got to be careful here because I don't want to make a general statement, but if a guy's divorced and hasn't worked it through, typically what happens is if he goes back on to another marriage and gets involved back in the ministry again, usually... If you didn't work it through in the first marriage, you're usually not gonna work through the issues and and, you and I did work it through in the first marriage. What do well, you think? Like let's to? say let's say like, you know, there was infidelity in my marriage and you know, I didn't work it through. Um, you know, in and, and the marriage ended in divorce, and years later I end up back in, in ministry. Um if, if I didn't work it through with my first wife, I'm not saying that you can't learn, but I'm just saying I've noticed a pattern over the years as I've watched people go back into ministry that normally they don't work out those issues that maybe led up to the infidelity in their marriage. Um, and, and so what, what I think more importantly than ministry, we're asking the wrong question. The right question is that person that you're married to is more important. And, and this always gets me with ministers too. Um, Ministry, I, I, there, I, there's times I don't really give a rip about being in ministry. I mean, I'm going to be saved and I'm going to love Jesus. I'm going to be a Christian no matter what, but it's my wife that I'd be more concerned about what I did to her. I wouldn't be so concerned about marriage. I'd be concerned about Andrea. You know, what Mm -hmm. have I done to you? I've destroyed your life. I've destroyed your, you know, and so, you know, that's, that's really ought to be the focus. I would just have major concerns about somebody who the the main question was, "Can I be in ministry?" When the the real issue is, there was a human being that that was on the other side of of, of your marriage, and what about them? Like that is the main concern. Does that make sense?
1: Oh yeah, it, it does make sense. And I think you know part of what you're you're hitting on here is one of the reasons why I've never been attracted to ministry. Because I see, I almost sounded
2: like you were about to say, "I've never been attracted to men." But I was glad that the history came at the end. What
1: are you talking about, bro? That's like, oh man, let's not let's not open up that can of worms,
2: man. All right, we're talking about Pete Mitchell's character today, folks. But he did say, for the record, (laughs) and I have no issue with that. Let's not be bringing that Pete Mitchell's character up after you say that. I was just glad that you completed that word. That's all I'm saying.
1: No, I don't even know what I was gonna say. No, I, I was gonna say that one of the reasons why I've never really been attracted to ministry is because I see so much screwed up in my own life. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm an evil person. I mean, th- there's, there's no other way about it. I mean, I'm a happy-go-lucky absolutely. kind of guy, but I also know I'm corrupt at my core. I mean, if it literally wasn't for the grace of God, I, I honestly, I mean. I don't know why I ended up the way that I did. The fact that I didn't end up a murderer or a thief or a rapist or whatever. I have no idea other than it was the grace of God because I look at so many of my friends from childhood, um, so many of my friends from college, and I look at how they've ended up in their lives. And I'm like, man, how did I, I mean, how, how did this ever happen? Yeah, Because it wasn't like we all lived great lives by any stretch of the imagination. For whatever reason, you know, like the worst thing I ever did, and I did it quite a bit, was get drunk. I mean, I, I've never touched an illegal drug, which I don't think any of my friends can say that other than me. Uh, I didn't have sex before I was married. I've never had extramarital sex. And I don't know... You know that that's like amazing that I that, that that that's my track record because at my core, I'm I'm an imperfect, evil, sinful, corrupt person, and I think because I know that that's one of the reasons I've just never been attracted to ministry because my image of ministry is people who are much better than me, you know, much more yeah. holy, much more perfect, just not not Pete Mitchell.
2: Well, I think, I think most people read this list and automatically start writing themselves off. I mean, we've already established on this podcast that you're evil. And so I appreciate you (laughs) copying, copying up to it, but, but. The reality is, you know, for for all of us, man, we are just so dependent on grace and shouldn't a minister—in um, fact, any, any minister who's been powerfully used of God went through these extreme periods of darkness. Um, Whitfield, Bunyan, Spurgeon, you know, I remember reading about Bunyan where uh, he was walking home and he looks across a fence and he sees some, some geese in this little paddock. And he actually, uh, he envies them because he thinks, man, they don't have to feel the crushing weight of their sin and condemnation. And, um, and, and eventually, you know, anyone whom God has used has been somebody where there was just no doubt. That They were dependent on the grace of God for the rest of their lives. And that's who God uses for gospel ministry. So I can't, I can't. You know, say that anybody who has fallen or whatever can never be used for ministry because, shoot, man, sometimes it's like Jacob, man, where you wrestle the angel, he breaks your hip, Peter, after he denies Christ and is restored back into ministry, Simon, do you love me? You know, he he just goes, Lord, you know all things, and he gets hurt when he asks him the third time because it reminds him of the three times he denied him, but he just finally surrenders, Lord, you know everything, you know whether I love you or not, or, you know, I'm not even going to try to prove to you. I don't even know myself, Lord. You know more than I do about me. And, and all I can say is I don't know how the Lord would deal with me. I would hope and trust that Jesus wouldn't have washed his hands with me if I did the unthinkable. I'd, I'd hope that he could still use me. And what, what I can say is this, that, uh, uh, years ago, um, when I served under the pastor that, uh, uh that I trained at the guy who was at Refuge Huntington before Bill. Um I remember uh when he fell, um I met with a pastor who's uh the head over all the pastors in our denomination. He kind of like the pastor to the pastors. And I remember he said, now you're you're gonna watch people in your church just fall like dominoes now because they, they're going to lose hope that if their spiritual leader and, and I remember thinking, well, you know, I, I, I was newly married at the time, or actually I wasn't married. I was, I was just about to get married. And I remember thinking, oh, that's kind of weak, man. You, you keep your eyes on Christ, you know, but sure enough, man, everybody just started dropping. The weird thing was at that time we slapped a scarlet letter on everybody's forehead. We didn't know how to, die. I think all of us were like afraid, you know, it was kind of like, you know, if you get bit by the zombie, you know, and the last thing you want to do is get bit by the zombies, you start bashing their heads in with a baseball bat and, you know, and it was sad, man. And and there were, you know, precious, precious people that had even been in leadership and their marriages started falling apart. It was a tough and rough time for a lot of people, but, um, by the grace of God, many of those people, um, you know, they've, they've been able to, to continue to walk in the grace of God when their lives fell apart and Jesus picked them up. And if the gospel didn't do that, I, I don't know what does, but I just know that Paul's saying, look, if you're going to lead people, um, going on to our next point, he says that you have to be able to lead your own household well for how else will you lead the family of God? So there is a requirement if you're going to be leading God's people and for that matter, um, if, if you've got a rough marriage, um, don't church plant. If, if you're going through a hard time in your marriage, do the best thing you could do and take a break, man. You know, even if it's for a, a year and just look at your wife and say, Hey, you know what? You're more important to me than ministry. I'm not going to sacrifice our marriage on the altar of ministry. You know, you are more important. And that's kind of what Paul's saying here. When he says the husband of one wife, it implies faithfulness. Um, he's If he's going to be faithful to Christ's bride as, as a shepherd, then he's got to be devoted to his wife. It's just kind of a common sense thing. Um, I always joke around that you're going to have to care for people uglier than your own kids. So um, no one thinks... You know, <laughs> it's true, isn't it? You know, you think your own kids are precious, but you know, um, other people are ugly. So, uh, you, you've, you're going to have to love people that are harder to love than your own kids. So you better be okay at loving your own kids. You better be okay at loving your wife. You, that, that part closer to home ought to be the strongest part. So, uh, and, and it's kind of an indicator here. Paul's saying if a man lets his kid go off the rails, then it's going to indicate how he lets God's kids get out of control. So, so, so are you
1: saying though, if your kids are off the rails, you shouldn't be in ministry?
2: I'm saying if your kids are off the rails, well, you know, Paul says it, doesn't he? He says, you know, if his kids are, uh, he says it in verse uh, four, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, um, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Um, You know, and submission always in the scripture implies good leadership. So if the guy's not a leader at home, then he probably needs to step out of leadership of the church and just take a break, even go to his elders and say, guys, my Home's not at, right at what point
1: though like what if your your kid is 18 going off to college <laughs> and they go off the rails are you supposed to then well you know what he's no. got to be out of ministry now
2: no i think when when your kids are are older and they've left home and they're you know at college boozing up i don't think that's your responsibility i think that uh you've done your best when they're at home and and so much to the point that even when you're th- there are there are times and there are cases where, for example, a church planner, um, his kid, he has been an awesome father, and he has raised his kids exceedingly well. He has done everything the Scripture said, and it's not for a fault of his, but it's actually, and I know there are people who go, no, no, that's not what the passage says. Well, Paul's talking about a guy who neglects his family here right? Um, A guy whose leadership is in question. And so when he says he has to be able to lead his household well, I have seen planners. Um, There was one planner that I worked with that um, I met with the pastor, his sending pastor, and I met with him. And at the bottom of it, I, I ascertained that, look, this guy has done everything and his pastor basically concluded, yeah, he's he has been an awesome father. This is not a a fault of poor leadership. And the Lord spoke to me prophetically, and I said, look, if you plant this church, I'm just sensing you're meant to run ahead with this, and your son is going to get saved through your church plant. Their son was saved the very first Sunday they launched and Hmm. is now a missionary overseas. So so you never know. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, there's a difference here. Paul's clearly talking about somebody uh, who he says, for if he does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So leadership is...
1: my wife just does what I tell her to do, everything will be good. All
2: right. No, but it's, it's, look, you might need to go to your leadership and just say, guys, look, my family's falling apart. Um, I need to take a break. And why sabotage your, why sacrifice your family and why sabotage your ministry where, you know, people tell you, you need to quit? No, go. I don't know why guys are so afraid to take a break in ministry. I've taken breaks in ministry a couple times. Um, once uh, I took a break from my marriage um, to work on that because it wasn't doing so hot. Um, two other times I took a break, went into secular employment so I could go to the mission field. And each time, uh, it was, it was amazing. It was such, it was just what my family needed. So I've taken three breaks, twice for finances and, uh, once for family. But here's the principle that I think Paul's getting at. Leadership is a character trait, whether you're leading three or 3000. Uh, like Yoda says, mm-hmm. size matters not. I dig it. Yeah, dude. <laughs> so, you know, all of us men are pastors of our home. Um, but the uh, one behind the man thing is 100% true. So, uh, you know, P- Peter even warns, you know, be gentle with your wives, lest your prayers are hindered. And, uh, you know, you, w- one of the things you don't want to do is you don't want to neglect your wife. That woman is going to be awesome. And, um, you know, if she's going to—no,
1: it's <laughs> I'm true. Sorry. No, dude. All I could think about was my story of what happened last night with my own wife, and I was like— Oh, are you kidding me? You're gonna start crying now. <laughs> I got. I gotta go to dinner. I, I gotta go out.
2: <laughs> Sorry, man. No, that's cool. That's cool. And 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 so the reality is, you know, your wife is going to be your biggest support. So you need to look after her big time. Um, are you praying? Are are you? Uh, are you know? When it says lead your family. Um, that this is where I think guys don't understand like the whole headship or leadership thing in the home. It's simply, it doesn't mean you're her boss. Doesn't mean you tell her what to do and you smack her around. It means literally that you lead her spiritually. So, you know, you're leading a church, but all of us have had times where, um, you know, our wives are like, Hey, man, you know what? You, you don't lead at home. Mm. And so, you know, you have to be able to lead. I I, I loved hearing Hugh Halter. Uh, I watched a little video on Vimeo this week where Hugh Halter is basically talking about how his wife uh, uh, said to him, look, we need to talk, you know, I love you and I'm committed to being your wife. But if it keeps up this way, um, I'm not sure I'm going to want to still live with you. And what he did is, you know, he took a break. His wife, how she started the conversation was she called the kids in and she said, go ahead and tell daddy uh, what what you told me earlier. And the little girl was a little bit sheepish, but she was five years old. She said, daddy sucks. Oh, wow. (laughs) And he goes... I don't know if that's something that, um, is acceptable talk from a five year old in your home, but it surely raised a red flag to me that all was not well. And he said, I, I didn't realize how I'd become this really angry person hmm. and everybody else was seeing Hugh, the pastor. But the reality was, you know, I was, I was this angry, angry guy. I, I was chasing this ambition and the church was, was, was sucking all of me when I got home. I didn't have any time. Uh, I was leading a very successful church that I had planted, it had grown large. Uh it was in everybody else's uh eyes a success, but my family was falling apart. And he said, and I just I got out. I I I got out of I handed the church off. I got out of ministry. And, you know, Hugh is in ministry. He's he's still in ministry, but he survived because he was willing to take Paul's injunction to heart and put his family as priority. That's um
1: that's pretty that's pretty crazy. I mean, I, I think one of the takeaways that I get from that is what an awesome woman that would have the guts to to do that to your husband. To basically stand up and say, look, you need to hear what the kids are saying. Because yeah. in, in my family growing up, that would have never happened. Ever. I mean, yeah. dad was right. Mom's, you know. And step behind him. That's it. That's the end of the game right there.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, and and so your wife, you know, when she's church playing, you really got to take care of her because she's she's stuck on you, but she's not just along for the ride. She was called by your side to watch your back. And she does a huge amount of the work, feels all the same elations and fears, and yet she carries an even bigger burden because she carries the church planner himself. And trust me, that's usually two hundred pounds of insecure, nervous, faith-infused, spirit-filled sinner, man. And it's kind of like Ginger Rogers said, "I did everything that Fred Astaire did, but backwards and high heels." And I think, <laughs> you know, I think that church planners are kind of like that, right? I'm glad I'm a man, but. Uh, you know, so, so guys, I, I guess if nothing else, what I'm saying is look after your, your, your woman, look after home because your church plant is not going to survive if you don't do that. And if you haven't learned to have quiet time with your wife yet, um, you need to do that. And, and it's so funny as dudes because, you know, we're spending almost this whole podcast talking about like our marriage, but, um, it, here's, here's the thing. Um, Dudes suck at quiet time. And I and I find it interesting that God called us to be a spiritual leader. You're leading her spiritually. You're leading her in prayer. And Paul defines it in Ephesians where he says, you wash her in the water of the word. And Enter and I have a set time every day where we do this. Like I actually, a lot of people don't know this, but I work eight hours a day, right? That's so I don't rip my family off. If I'm not done with my work at the end of eight hours, that's tough. Right. Because I want to give a normal day. Uh, when I'm done, I want to have normal time with my family. I don't want them to pay for me being a ministry. There will be times I will work 12 hour days or I'll pull all nighters. Those are rare though. Um, but, but usually I'm an eight hour a guy. The reality is the only way I've been able to make my family first is I work seven hours in ministry, but there's one of those eight hours. I spend with my wife. I know not everyone can do this. Bivocational guys cannot do this. Um, but I I learned to do it when I was bivocational. Um, I would spend an hour with my wife just talking with her, hearing her feelings. I would have a devotion. I would make it huge. I would make it big. It would be something like morning and evening by Spurgeon. might be my utmost for his highest. Uh, right now, I'm going through the Chuck Swindoll app on my iPhone. And, and, and I always, if I try to help guys and I've watched marriages completely turn around, I've watched horrible marriages. I just say, look, just spend five to 15 minutes every night before you go to bed, or if it's morning before you go to work, uh, make sure it's not hurried. Carve out the time for it. And you do this. You, this is how I tell, don't start with prayer because prayer is awkward. Like I said, like Mm. as men, we suck at devotions. Here's, and it's ironic that God calls us to do it. A woman, she'll be all over it. If God had called women to do devotions because they're very nurturing, and they dig on that stuff; they'd be all over it. But for men, God pulled a fast one on us, and the reason I think He did it <laughs> was because we suck. Like, check it, right? We're, we're guys; we always like to be competent, right? You go out, you know, to dinner; you like to be the big man, pull your wallet out and pay it, right? You you like to order off the menu; you like to impress. I'm fine I'm with wife.
1: my wife paying, actually,
2: but go okay, okay. Sorry. But but here's the deal. You like to be the man. You like to be tough enough. You like to be competent. You like to, you know, as dudes, we don't like to to not know the answers. We don't like to pull over for directions, right? We don't like to not have what it takes. We like to be strong enough to take the pickle lid off the, you know, the jar lid off the pickle jar. Um, We like to be the man. And men are all about being competent, being strong enough. Little kids, daddy, look how strong I am. That kind of crap, right? So... When you're a dude, suddenly you don't get to be the man anymore. You can't be John Wayne in the presence of God. Like, I don't care who you are. Um, as soon as you enter the presence of God, you feel naked and incompetent and out of your depth. So it's the one place where as a man, when you come before the Lord to pray with your wife, suddenly you don't feel very manly. And it's it's kind of a fast one because now suddenly you ain't the man. Jesus is the man. Mm. And you're this like, you're in this place of submission. But God says to the man, I want you to lead her into that place on a regular daily basis. And so I always tell people, look, you know, uh, because you're uncomfortable, use a devotional like a crutch, man. Use uh, morning and evening. And if you're a spiritual giant, forget what I'm saying right now. But most guys, they need help in this area. And so I tell them, look, uh, use a devotion like that and just read, you know, it breaks the ice. It's like an icebreaker, man, in a conversation. You start off there and then you ask her as a man, as the leader, you say, what did that speak to you? And you just let her talk. And what you'll start finding is, you know how like your wife goes around and she feels you don't listen to her. She feels you don't love her. You don't care about her. You don't, she's going to get all that stuff out there in that moment. What's awesome about it is you're already in devotion. So you're in a place where you can say, let's pray about that. But then also as a church planner, you know, a lot of, a lot of church planners are neurotic. I don't know if you guys are neurotic. If I preach a bad sermon or if I feel I'm failing, um, I get neurotic about it, right? Um, and, and, and I just gotta like go shut up, right? Like I gotta not, I've learned, I don't talk to my wife about that stuff anymore because it, you know, it's not like she can help me. It's just gotta be me and God. But during those times, if I need prayer, I need to talk. We're in a posture, uh, mentally where we're before the Lord during that time. And it doesn't have to be weird. You know, you guys know my black sense of humor, um, a little bit crass at times, a little bit very down to earth. It still stays that way, but we just take it to the Lord right there. And so if if nothing else, guys, that's, that's something you need to learn to do. If you're going to church plant, you have to have the ability to pray, pray with your wife if you're going to survive. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I would say I would actually... Submit that—that uh, that that's something that's I, I find very difficult to do, and um, and I've shared this with you, not on the podcast, but I've shared it before with you. That for me, prayer is something that's always uh, been important in my life on a one-on-one basis, uh, just me and God, kind of a thing. In fact, it was kind of funny because um, you know I was sharing with you before the podcast. Uh, Jamie had a bad day yesterday, and I was going to dinner with a buddy of mine. She gets home about half hour late. Um, the time I was actually supposed to be at dinner with my buddy, she was just uh, pulling into the driveway, and and she's crying. And of course, you know, the thought in the back of my head is, oh, great, you know, I got to deal with this," which is obviously not the good husband <laughs> by, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, still had dinner with my buddy. He was already at. The place waiting for me, so I go there. We hung out for a couple hours. Actually, had a really great time and and amazing. Actually, watching our conversation turn back around to God, and this is from a guy who, you know, he he revealed to me last night. He goes, "Look, I finally come around that. Yes, there is a God. He, she, it. I don't know if it's a personal God, but I'm okay that there is a God. I finally reached that point." And um, so anyway, we we had a great talk, and and then. I get home and that's when Jamie and I had our talk of, you know, what's going on in, in her life. And, you know, she was obviously very upset over some stuff that happened during the day. And, you know, she's crying and talking and we're just having, you know, a, a, I would say a, a really good conversation, at least from her point of view, you know, me being a typical dude, I, I could have gone my whole life without having that conversation. Cause you know, my my ministry on philosophy is suck it up, buttercup, which doesn't work with your wife, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and – um but it was interesting because one of the things that we started talking about was – I said, you know, it, w- it was really amazing how after going to Biola University, you know, the Bible Institute of Los Angeles for five years – during that five years, I maybe attended church, maybe a dozen times. Maybe I'm I'm not even sure if I <laughs> if I broke ten. To be quite frank about it, I'm just benefit of the doubt. You know, in twelve or in five years time, I, I I probably went at least twelve times, and. Jamie was kind of blown away by this. And I go, you know, the really amazing thing is that my parents never asked me in five years, you know, what church are you going to or, or you know, how do you like church or whatever? I mean, that was kind of more the the amazing thing. And, and I said, you know, what all of us guys would do. And this will sound strange to a lot of people who don't understand the environment of going to a Christian university because a lot of people who go to a, a Bible college, like they want to go there. A lot of people who go to uh, a Christian university here in America, um, it could be because that's the only place their parents will pay for it. So it wasn't really that they wanted to go. It's like, well, mom and dad are only going to pay for me to go here, so I'm here. And so a lot of us, what we do is on Sunday before we could go to the cafeteria, we'd have to dress up, grab our Bibles and go to the cafeteria so we didn't look like we just skipped out on church. Finally, what, what happened with me is I reached the point where I was like, you know what? Before we have a meal here, we bow our head and we pray. And I go, I don't pray at any other point in my life because mm-hmm. at this point in my life, I was not praying. Right. I'm like, why am I going to fake it? I'm such a hypocrite. I'm so worried about what people around here think of me that I have to bow my head and and say a prayer that I would not say. If I was at the you know the, the fast food restaurant having dinner by myself and I just I reached this point where I was like I'm not faking this anymore I'm yeah. not bringing I'm not dressing up to come to to lunch after church I didn't go to church I'm not faking it I'm not grabbing my Bible I'm not doing any of that and you know obviously since that time God has has gotten a hold of me right and and now I pray a lot. But it's it's much more personal prayer. It's, you know, God, this is what's going on in my life. And, mm-hmm. you know, seeking him or or even last night, I, I was praying on my way home after having talked to my buddy and having such a, a great conversation with him. He's a, a missionary kid um, who's finally come back to, yeah, I believe there there is a God, though I don't know, you know, what God looks like. And I, I literally, I'm I'm praying on my way home, and I'm just like, thank you, God, for giving me the opportunity to have this conversation with my buddy, because I don't deserve to be the guy that's having this conversation. I'm I'm such a sinner. I'm so jacked up. I got so many issues. But thank you for for allowing me to to share in that, and and just you know, start opening doors. Mm-hmm. And and I've shared this with you before, Peyton. Praying with Jamie is something that's very difficult for me, even though we're both, you know, um, very, you know, I mean, we're Christian. We both believe in God wholeheartedly. Yeah. It's just – it's a, there's an awkwardness to it. And so, I mean, how yeah. we've started it is, ironically, back to praying before meals, which is <laughs> – and it's so funny because – one day I'm like, you know, hun, um, maybe we should start praying before we have dinner. <laughs> and she just yeah. kind of starts laughing, and she's like, "Yeah, we probably should." And like that was how we opened that door to praying together.
2: Well and that that's the beauty of it is a lot of pastors don't pray with their wives and so even to be doing that it, it one of the most godly couples I know they're not in ministry but they have these devotions what they do is they at meal times when the food's done they just crack open a little devotional they read out of it and they pray. You know, they talk it over for a few minutes and pray, and I think it lasts five to 15 minutes. Um, but there are times where for them, they would come and say, gosh, you know, we we talked uh, for like an hour and a half about this one. And I think that's the way to do it, where they're not like, hey, you know, our goal is an hour and a half. Hey, you know, sometimes five minutes, they pray and always sincere. I mean, I can't remember ever hearing uh, the the dad there. He's a guy I respect, like I cannot even tell you. He's one of the the men on planet Earth that I just think, Lord, give me half of that guy's character. But there are times where, I mean, he'd just pray and just, there's just something this spirit, even if it's like a five-minute devotion that they're doing together between the reading and then maybe no one else says a bunch, but he prays. There's always such a humility and just this uh, just the Holy spirit, man, when he would pray and he was just a dude that walks with God. And I think you hit on that, that whole sincerity, not making it the chore, not making it the hoop that you got to jump through, but just, just, Hey, you know, this is where we're at. And I think for us, you know, it's funny because, um, I did not pray with Andrea for years and years of our marriage. Um, the first year it's so funny cause we got, we got married and we're very idealistic. Um, we got married and— She's
1: so lucky she got me.
2: <laughs> yeah, oh, dude, I, I was just waiting for her to figure that out, but we were fighting like cats and dogs our first year of marriage, and um, and we did a devotion. Someone had given us for a wedding gift, um, the couple's devotional Bible, and they have no idea that that book saved my marriage, because on every other front, we were doing horrible But we religiously sat down and it was at times a religious, very legalistic thing where we sat down and on our sofa, even if we had had a knockdown, drag out fight the night before, and we met, you know, at the, at the scripture and during prayer. And then like, this is ironic, but then like as things started getting better over time, we put that aside and we just went through this like kind of like wilderness of years without quiet time. It was going back into church planning that got me to pray with Andrea. Hmm. Um, and, And it was before I church planned. Funny enough, it was when I quit ministry. That's when I started praying with Andrea again. Um, it was as the Lord was moving in that Starbucks, and I was like, Hey, you know, God seems to be doing something. We should probably talk to him about it. And I had quit, so I didn't want ministry. And there's something pure about that. It was just, I used to always have this question, Pete, when I was in ministry. I was always like, You know, if I weren't getting paid to do this, um, would would I still care? Would I still give a rip? And that question haunted me because I went into ministry very young. Um, I was nineteen years old and I became a youth pastor. That's mind boggling to me now. I thought I was this stuff at nineteen. I thought you know I should have been doing this at eighteen because I was so arrogant. But um, at twenty, I became an assistant pastor. Uh, at twenty two, I became the interim pastor of the church, and uh, it, it was just crazy, dude. It was nuts. And I was way too young to be carrying the burden that I was. Uh, but it, it created this kind of insecurity in me, you know, over the years. A ministry can be a weird, funky little deal. And if you're in ministry, you know what I'm talking about, where sometimes you just hunger for like just walking with Jesus. Um, not, not being a paid professional who's paid to walk with Jesus. Um, you, you just feel like, you know, I just, I just want it to be simple. You know, I just want to go have a simple walk with Jesus somewhere and not have to prep sermons and not have to carry other people and just, just be a Christian. You know, just be Peyton, you know? And, uh, and it was during that time that I rediscovered, uh, quiet times with my wife. And they were very simple and they're very, you know, I wasn't out just like you said, Pete. I was just Peyton. And, uh, and it was pure and, and I rediscovered something then, but it became an absolute survival skill. Uh, I don't know where we'd be, um, without quiet time nowadays. And since Liberty started school recently, um, we've gone to the meal model uh because in the morning my wife's getting the kids ready um I help out a little bit I got a brand new baby girl and it's a mad rush in the morning to get off so we don't do it in the morning anymore and we're incorporating it into our meal times and it's working you know it's 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 a struggle and you have to adapt with life but it's working but uh, you know that's all we actually have time for it's really interesting to me we spent uh that entire time Talking through Paul's very first two, the summary: be above reproach, and the and then all the qualifiers. We only got through one of those, which was he must be uh, faithful to his wife, and um, and we touched on the family, the other passage he mentions there in verse four. But that's it, man. That's all we had time for. So, uh, so what you're saying is uh, two wives. No. (laughs) Two wives is just plain out. But, uh, yeah, man, that's it, you know, and, and, and so boot camp is tough, man. The first obstacle and it took us an hour to get through it. So that should tell us something. So next time we will continue on with the church planner's character. And, uh, you know, hopefully it will keep you guys safe and give you survivability to go the distance. This has been Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones on the Church Planner Podcast. Thanks for joining us, and we remind you that if you want to reach the ones no one's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing.
1: Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast